hitting me up, asking, like, what you doing? What's up? What's good? Bitch, ain't shit good. Ain't shit up. I'm in the house. Like, I've been in the house for days. Ain't shit up. Leave me alone. Y'all niggas talking about links, bitch. Ain't no links. We quarantined, nigga. Shit is on lockdown. What the fuck? Ain't no links. Niggas always want to put their dick in something. Bitch, I'm sick. I'm over here worried I got COVID fucking 19, bitch. Can't fucking breathe out my nose. And you want to come put a dick in me? Are you serious? Nigga, put a vaccine in me. You want to put something in me? Put a fucking vaccine in me. I want a cure. I don't want your dick. Sublime Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Haberdashery, aka Aolis White, aka Ain't No Links. Ain't no links, okay? Ain't no motherfucking links. Um, I wanted to just shout out to everybody listening in the you know quarantine, self-isolation, social distancing, lockdown, shutdown, whatever state your metropolitan area is in or your rural area or look or whatever. Um, just thank you for tuning in despite all of the the kind of mess that's going on. So I opened the podcast with the Jordan J, I believe uh, her name is. The, the, the handle is J-R-D-Y-N-J-Y off of Twitter. Um, Fat Pussy Advocate is the name. So that's why I know that name or I know the handle. Hilarious. And it made me laugh. Like, Grinder is low-key, like, pop, like, popping right now. Like, Grinder is low-key on... Everybody's on. I, you know, look at these things because I'm curious. I just can't help but look. But then, like, it's one of those things where I'll look at Grinder, or I'll log in or whatever. And I forget that when you log in, people can see you. So then I'll get a tap or a message. And I'm like, yo, I'm not leaving my house. Like, I don't even really want to talk or entertain this. Like, I'm not leaving my house. This is this. COVID-19, Corona, Corona, whatever you call her affectionately or not affectionately. Like, I'm not getting fucked. I'm not fucking. I'm not sucking dick. I'm not doing any of that. I'm not doing any of that. Even though the New York uh, City Health Department said you probably could, like, suck dick or whatever, I just don't see why I would. Um, it's not worth it. It's funny, a couple of podcasts ago, I talked about sucking dick with a runny nose, but this is beyond that. This is like, you suck dick, you get pneumonia, you fuck somebody, you wake up with pneumonia, like, no, 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 no. It is not, not worth it. Um, so I made me a cute little cocktail for this episode. I don't know what to call it because it's a ghetto cocktail. You know, we're using the reserves for these drinks. See, I thought I'm still drinking from my birthday. And I looked and I thought I was like, okay. I see gin. I rarely have gin in the house. So shout out to whoever brought that tanqueray. Probably my mother, but shout out to her. Um, and I 
So I always have some green chartreuse. So I was like, okay, I get to make my favorite cocktail because I know for a fact I have maraschino liqueur. I see that bottle there, cause but I recycle, right? So I see the bottle. I'm like, let me. I'm about to make this drink. I got some fresh lines. I'm about to fuck this shit up. It's about to hit the spot. I go to pour some maraschino liqueur in the bottle. It's empty. And when you live by yourself, there is nobody you can be mad at but your motherfucking self. Like I was like, you trifling ass. You should have thrown the bottle out. So now you mad? What you gonna make? What you gonna make, what you gonna eat, what you gonna do? Because you had your, you didn't got your dick up for the last word and now you can't make it. So, in short, I just made some ghetto ass substitutions. I use simple, I use simply, um, excuse me, I use simply, um, lemonade or whatever the fuck and put some more liquor in it to make it stronger. And then put some a lot of limes in there. Put more limes than I typically would, and just hope for the best. Um, it tastes good. It tastes ghetto, but it tastes good. You know, it is what it is. Here we are. Um, so this episode, I want to just kind of, you know, I didn't talk about this, and maybe I should have. So I'll go back. Um, Jordan J, the woman who opens my podcast, well, she didn't open my podcast. I don't want to guess it up. I used something that I thought was funny from her Twitter feed. Is a black trans woman, and I think I've always wanted to talk about the topic that I'm about to talk about, and for some reason, I feel I felt like. It was appropriate to link the two, you know. So what you see, what I have seen recently, and it's not recent. I would say it's the past couple years, is this, um, what I'm calling femme cosplay. A lot of straight men, mostly white, but of whatever, because we saw it a couple years ago, like five years ago, a young thug, so... Kind of race agnostic here, but a lot of heterosexual men, um, a lot of men that carry and gesture with a lot of masculine energy are wearing, are cosplaying as femme or gender fluid or even just feminine fluid. So not in terms or not in terms of like, I shouldn't say feminine fluid, that's not a thing, but you know, as someone who genuinely enjoys, uh, feels at home embodying a feminine aesthetic and cosplaying in this way. And, you know, most notably and most recently, you see it in Bad Bunny and Harry Styles. And like, you know, I shouldn't say that I have beef with them because it's not, it's not, and particularly not with Bad Bunny, but I'll get into the differences and things. You know, I'm looking at these straight men, these, you know, Afro-Taino to the extent that Bad Bunny is Afro-Indigenous, but whites as well, like, you know, a, a, a nice blend of colonizer, Afro and Indigenous. Um, but it's not really presenting as indigenous or Afro. And then you have Harry Styles. 
And it's who I mean, who's white? Um, and it's like they're embodying the lace, the pearls, the delicate fabrics, you know, the pinks, and the aesthetics that are traditionally associated with 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 femme folk. And being received and lauded and celebrated and their sex appeal even just being augmented. Like people wanting to fuck them even more now that they've embodied this aesthetic. And the, the girls are living. The girls are living. The, the, the women are living. You know, the, the girls themselves, like uh, Bad Buddy and Harry Styles, living. everybody's living. You know, cosplaying as femme. And then, you know, issues like, and I think last November, GQ covered this the new masculinity issue. And, you know, magazines like that, put them front and center, but let's put Pharrell front and center, but put this sort of trend front and center and act as though these men are leading the way and revolutionizing the masculine aesthetic. Their, their bravery, their foresight, their aesthetic genius, their unbridled creativity, this, you know, je ne sais quoi about them is cutting edge and it's leading the, a cultural movement that's liberating men from oppressive ideals. Nah, no. You know, this is, y'all are just dressing like we dressed a long time ago. You know, like, I mean, to the, there are still folks that just like this. So I'm not saying that it's something that we've done and we don't continue to do. But like, I've been wearing thigh highs of all types of fabric for 13 years. All types of colors. I mean, my entire adult life, I've been wearing, you know, lace. Long, like, you know, delicate, like, things and long things and in my own way, but my entire adult life. And there are so many queer people that go farther that are actually pushing the aesthetic that because their queerness needs, because their queerness demands space, demand that materials, that shapes, that aesthetics, that colors, that bend to their will, they are forced to be creative. You know, that, that being deliberate is forcing creation and they are actually leading the way. It's not motherfucking Harry Styles and it's not Bad Bunny. And I don't want to hear anymore about it. I don't want to see any more magazines about it. I don't want to see anybody on Twitter or on Instagram. None of it. Granted, I don't have control over that, but you know, like, these people are not leading the way in any way. I mean, maybe I shouldn't go that far. I should say that this is queer genius. This is, a lot of this is queer genius, that they're just borrowing stale products of what queer people have already created. And, you know, although I love my people, the queer folk, you know, obviously, a lot of this is also just a tribute. Like, we should just celebrate women for this as well. Like, it doesn't need to be a queer man or even a queer woman thing. You know, it could just be this aesthetic has been... Well, I don't want to say it's been created by women. In some instances, yes. In some instances, no. But it's been 
elevated and carried by women. And if a man does that, he doesn't get he shouldn't get credit for that. I'm of the belief that if you do something that a woman does, like you don't get points for doing it. Like if you know, like how you, I'll see things on Twitter, you know, that's like, oh, a man, you know, get get a husband that washes dishes, and I'm like, these old ass gender roles, like y'all are still listening to gender roles, and not only is it a stale, stupid, like patriarchal gender role of washing dishes, but like. He should wash his fucking dishes. He ate food. Right? It should this is not hallowed ground just because one gender has been forced into this role for years. And like you just don't get points for doing something that you should have been doing or for or for doing something that another person has already created and advanced like he's not they're not wearing the clothes in a way that we've never seen before it would be one thing if they were they were putting together combinations that we have never seen before they're not and not even among straight men are are, they're not even innovating in that space because you know in different eras like obviously 60s 70s there was more of a feminine aesthetic that men kind of embodied that were sort of locked by that act without that time frame. Um, rock, you know, rock has always kind of bent those, well, like certain types of rock have always sort of bent those lines. So we're not, this itself isn't innovative, but the way that ad, that adulation, like how we lift it up, is bizarre. And that's why, like, I don't want this to come across, like, hate, but maybe I am just a hating ass bitch. And that's really the question of this podcast. The question of this episode is, is, am I just a hating ass bitch? Am I just a hating ass bitch? But I don't think, like, I'm not hating on them because I don't think they're demanding it. And what I will say that's different between the two is, you know, I watched it, I watched something. Was it Jimmy Kimmel or one of the Jimmys or whatever? And Bad Bunny was on there. And he had a t-shirt or a sweater or something that referred to um, Alexa Negron, which is like this trans woman that was brutally murdered in Puerto Rico. And for me personally, although I'm not trans and although I'm not the gatekeeper of all queer things and all feminine aesthetics, for me personally, I feel like that symbolic representational advocacy um, makes me feel like he understands what's going on. Like he's not trying to elbow or like, you know, debow his way into a space that's not his. He not his. He is respectful of the tradition. He is respectful of the people that are actually doing the work, that are actually risking their lives. Because, see, it's cute when a straight man does something like this. But there's still places, and I'm not conflating being trans with being in drag or being trans with being cis, but wearing women's clothing or clothing that are associated with femininity. But... There are places where you can die for doing what you were doing. 
if you are queer, like if you mean it, like if you are the people that mean it. So if you're a queer person, if you're a trans, if you mean that lace, if you mean those pearls, like if you are serious about what you are doing and it is not cosplay, you could actually die. Like there are people that will murder you. There are people that will beat you up. There are people that won't hire you. There are people that, you know, will constrict or, you know, restrain or whatever, restrict your resources and your permissions and your access. Like, for you, because you're playing and it's a music video or it's a thing, like, for you, it's a, so you get to, it's fun and it's consequence free. Or at least the consequences aren't life or death in some cases. And I think Bad Buddy gets that, which is why I, which I only think because of his acknowledgement of the, of the trans death in, um, you know, Puerto Rico. I haven't seen that from Harry Styles. I wouldn't be surprised if Harry has the same awareness and the same consciousness. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I think it just not it just pisses me off when I see when I see the culture not seeing not getting the point or not seeing the truth. It is their straight patriarchal excuse me privilege that's allowing them to play and play dress up in this way. And that for, I think as the viewer, as the audience that tries to reconcile the, the known identities with the aesthetic, I think because we know, or we think that they're not serious, we allow, we allow it. And this is not like the same as like a Prince character who, you know, we understood what his identity, we understood what he told us his identity was as a straight man or what he presented to us with the bad bitches he was, you know, rolling with. And that combines with the, it never reconciled with the aesthetic. I think culturally we loved it because or love it because the music is really, really good. And not just good, it's like genius level. Like he was a genius level musician and it was provocative and it was innovative. It, it Well, it, it was innovative in his way, in his presentation. And I think you could tell that he was serious about it and willing to pay the price for the aesthetic, you know? And, but in some ways, I still think about Prince and I, and I, like, as a queer person and that thinks about him and not trying to be, you know, sacrilegious or anything like, like that or blasphemous, like, when I watch interviews, sometimes I I do question it. Not his seriousness or not his range, but I love his voice, first of all, like his speaking voice. Um, but I wonder... If he should be considered a queer icon. Because when he passed, you know, I mean, everyone loves Prince. We all love Prince. So I shouldn't say everyone, but, you know, the T. 
And I think a lot of queer people see him as a queer icon. And I kind of see him as a queer icon because even if he's not queer, he queered the culture and he made space for queer people, you know, to exist. And the question and the controversy, I love that song. But anyway, the controversy associated with his sexuality. He never gave a response that was dripped in, you know, cis hetero patriarchy. It wasn't like, you know, I'm straight as fuck. Look at my bad bitch. I can take your bitch. If I, well, he probably, you know, he probably could have. But, you know, he was never like, he did have bad bitches on his arm, but he never shamed the gays to prove how straight he was despite his assless chaps, you know, and the heels and things. And a lot of the girls do that. They did that back, especially like in earlier time periods. But yeah, I always, I'm always on the fence. Well, not always, but sometimes I'm on the fence of whether or not Prince should be a considered a queer icon. Um, because he's not queer, despite the fact that he blends aesthetic, a uh, gendered aesthetic. But when he was in conversation interviewing, it was like he presented a very masculine, a very deep voice. But, you know, there was there was the flair and the spice that was very feminine. I mean, he embodied both energies. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. And then you have to ask, you know, is it the genius? The genius that just allowed it to pass. Like, if your ass ain't that good... You better put on some pants, you know? Like, it could have been something like that. Um, more on, am I, am I just a hater or not? I, I did want to talk about this. I don't consider myself a hater. I never have. I mean, people might consider me a hater, though. People that know me pretty well. Um, shout out to y'all. Um, but I'll tell you this. So, coronavirus... COVID-19 has obviously claimed lives. Um, it's claimed what health, you know, just health and well-being, you know, if not life. Um, but it's also claimed entire people savings like in terms of like people that have 401ks or you know the people that have had the privilege of having 401ks and relying on 401ks and anything that's sort of indexed along stock performance or whatever those people uh retirement funds etc the sort of economic security of that it's claimed entire industries you know and I, I think why I'm questioning my own hate level is that this past week, I've had to really not fuck with a lot of niggas. Not, I've had to really not fuck with a lot of people. And not not fuck with in a way that's like, you know, don't, you know, I'm, it's going to be on site whenever the, the, you know, whenever Corona's, you know, done it's gonna be on site i'm gonna run up and beat your ass it's not that it was never that 
But it was something that was more... I have to, I have to make sure I'm right. I had to make sure I was good emotionally. Because a lot of folks were our home chilling. They're home chilling. And the problem with me is that it's I don't only fight for my own resources. Like that's not what I do. So and I also don't fight with just my own interests in mind. And my own, so when I'm upset about something, it's like I'm upset about it for myself, but I'm also upset about it for people that I know, you know? So it's like for me as someone who was in the restaurant industry to just all of a sudden not have any resources overnight, it pissed me off, it scared me, it worried me, you know? But I thought about, Co-workers that might have had their families on their health plan. Like I don't have kids, you know what I'm saying. I don't have. I'll, I'll be. I'll, I'm good. I'm in a rent control department. My apartment is great. I live by myself. Okay, I'm. I'm. One, I'm a blessed girl. If you live in New York, you know. You know what that is to have an apartment by yourself. You know, a true one bedroom. I'm good, and they're not gonna come for me. They know I'm with the shits, so it's fine. But. And I'm healthy. I have no underlying health conditions. Like, I am blessed. I've got some savings. Like, I'm financially literate. Like, I have a background. And, like, I know that I can weather this with some ingenuity and hard work. And But I thought about coworkers of mine that have their whole families on the health. And first of all, I thought about people that were never on health insurance to begin with, that their jobs could not offer it. They were on Oscar, they were on the, the, the whatever, the marketplace with deductibles that are in the five. I mean, some of those marketplace plans, even if you can afford them, deductibles be like $4,000, $5,000. But people whose whole families were on health insurance and they lost it overnight. They lost their health insurance overnight during a a pandemic. You know, like I saw somebody, I mean, this could have been fake, but there was some uh, somebody who, you know, was admitted for coronavirus whose hospital stay cost them $30,000. Imagine, imagine that you are somebody who your family's on your health your family is on your health insurance you get laid off your entire industry is gone so there is no getting of the job your city goes on lockdown you file for unemployment you try to file for unemployment but you can't get in i mean the phone lines were broken the website's down i had people tell me that the website's still down um so you can't get unemployment. So because you can't get unemployment, you can't apply for Medicaid because they would use your, you know, your unemployment, your unemployment claim as evidence of you being unemployed. Medicaid's gonna still consider you to be employed until, you know, whatever until you or covered until your coverage is expired, which be at the end of the month. So imagine you have this family, you have, you know, your wife 
is, is, you know, gets coronavirus or like your wife gets COVID-19, she's hospitalized, you got to worry about isolating the rest of your, your kids and yourself or whatever to take care of, make sure your family's good. But it's April 1st, your other, your other, you just got unemployment, but your other insurance expired, your wife's in ICU and has to stay for a, set, for a couple of days. Who knows? Right? You, all of a sudden, now you have kids that are uninsured that have been exposed to the virus. You yourself are uninsured and you've been exposed to the virus. You have a, a, a wife that is sick, fighting for her life with pneumonia, whatever the case is, um, who's uninsured. Your industry is legally halted because you, no restaurants are even open. You get your check, you know, you, she, your wife survives, your wife survives, and y'all go back home. Your hospital bill is $30,000, but your industry is not even open, so now you have this debt for $30,000. Let's say you do file for Medicaid, let's say you get it, hopefully Medicaid covers it all, hopefully. They might not, depending on when they started to when they start to cover you. You know, you might have to be fighting for weeks and months to get them to cover you from the beginning of the year, which they might not. You know, you don't know. So now you have this thirty thousand dollar debt with no means of making money because all you've done is serve or bartend or whatever, and you have kids. And you're trying to feed your kids on $500 a day. $500 a week, sorry. And pay your rent. And in New York, $2,000 with two, $2 a month for two kids, a sick, a sick you know, spouse and rent, you can't make it. Not to mention the, the $30,000 in debt you're in because you tried to save your wife's life. And I'm saying this because there are people, (laughs) there are co-workers, there are people in my life that I know that are like this. Like anybody that stays in this industry and has kids like, and who managed to get a good job that was relatively stable, that offered health insurance, you are, it's a hard, it's hard out here now for you. And And I think that, you know, in New York, I think that some of this, well, let me back up. What pisses me off, or not pisses me off, but why I ask myself if I'm a, if I'm a hater, is that I couldn't even talk to people last week because people were acting like there was nothing. Like, oh, yeah, it's sickness. Yeah, I'm home. But I'm home from work. Like, let's chill. Let's, like, take shots and do push-ups. And granted, doing push-ups, you know, taking shots, like, I've been drinking, whatever. So I'm not judging that. But it's like there are literally people now, while you're taking shots, there are people calling Medicaid and calling unemployment five, six, seven times in a row and can't get in. Like there are people that are wondering when their next check is coming from because they've lost everything overnight. And you're talking about shot challenges and celebrities are singing Imagine and Cuomo is... Not Governor Cuomo, but Chris Cuomo, his brother, 
did this. It really pissed me off. He did this like get fit challenge thing, but he's running on a private beach. This nigga is running on a private beach while people are trying to figure out how to get $500 a week for their fucking kids. It just like, I was like, let me get off social media. Let me get off everything. Don't send me no invites. Don't send me no Zoom anything. Don't send me shit. I'm not going. I'm not going because if not me, there's family members, there are coworkers, there are friends that are trying to figure their lives out. And they're not playing they're not fucking playing games on on, on whatever the on Instagram or whatever. Like don't if you gonna send me a send me a donate to donate a donate challenge. You know, send me a challenge for that. Give $5. All you niggas that want to fucking send push-up challenges. Why don't you send challenges for, for people that have lost health care, that have kids? Give $5, $6 here for people that have to feed their families. That, are, that, that now can't. And now that won't be able to. You don't know when they'll be able to. Send, send $5 to them. You know, it's not... Like, people act like it's crazy because, and it depends on where you work, and it depends on your experience. There are people that are make that make $40 in tips a day to, you know, $300, $400, $500 in tips. You know, it ranges in the hospitality industry in New York City. I think people I think people don't realize the gap in capital or income that happens when somebody who was making money is automatically is suddenly not making any money like they don't understand the capital drain and the sort of financial trauma that is. They think that waiters or whatever, you know, don't make any money. So for them to stop making money, they can just go do this or go do that. Or like DJs or, you know, people that, are, that love this and that are now ain't going to be no parties. Ain't no links. Ain't no links. And that are using their DJ, their gig money to 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 you know to make a way. That's just a dub. And people look down on this so much that they don't understand how much money is being lost. They don't see it as an industry that is actually contributing to the economy. They don't realize how much money we're talking about when we say that this restaurant industry is 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 in the shitter. They think, oh, you know, niggas just ain't going. Y'all ain't gonna ask me for for still a sparkling water. It's not like that. It's like billions of dollars are being sucked out of the economy and out of people's pockets cumulatively because of this. And you're out here sending challenges, and you know, and it just really, you know, it just really bothered me. And you know, I thought about this, and I meditated, and I prayed, and you know, I'm you know I'm a reflective girl, so 
I, you know, realized that I had to change my attitude. I couldn't think like that. And, you know, these are the choices that we've all made and we have to be responsible for them and we will survive. We will, you know, we will get shit together. No worries. You know, like it's something that, um, that we realized. So I wasn't like, you know, I couldn't be mad at anybody but me. And then I had to really just live with that and come to terms with it and be proud of myself and my coworkers and my friends and sort of everyone, um, everyone that has chosen to make music and art and, you know, the actors in the world, the performers, the... Everybody who's living in a gig economy that's not relying on, you know, corporate backing, um, you know, I have to be proud of us as a collective and not feel away. I do want to say something else, though, that is not meant to be ominous or shade, but if y'all niggas think that your jobs were safe, somebody lied. You know, when I, cause when, when I was, what, I was a freshman in 07, right? Yeah. I was a freshman in 07, 08 was the market crash. I interned, no, I went to this event, I feel like in 09 at credits, at, no, at uh, Barclays at the time. And, you know, Barclays was coming off, fresh coming off of being Lehman. I had some friends that had had Lehman offers that were a couple years older than me. It's like the class of 05. So that must have been 09 in college. Most of 09 lost their offers if you were in finance or, you know, something like that. And... I had to, and for to get my internship, I had to talk about how, what my interest in finance was and, you know, how I would have about the financial crisis and all this stuff. And I remember saying in my interview that I was amazed to see the trickle down effect of the financial crisis into everyday people's lives because you know as somebody who studied philosophy as someone that grew up poor I really didn't have an understanding of the stock market and how it affected my life it was all so far away um but as I aged and as I sort of looked around and learned I realized oh shit this this 08 affects everybody not just you know the not just the bankers which is what I thought at 17 years old, of course. I didn't really know what was what was tea. Um, and now it's like, if y'all think that these corporations that have investment, that are investing as well in the stock market, that are also losing money, that, you know, investors are going to be more wary about their, you know, that, you know, they're draining their own liquidity reserves, their own capital reserves to stay afloat as well, to really counterbalance the losses that they're seeing in their investment accounts. If you think they're not going to lay niggas off in response to these losses, somebody is lying to you. Somebody's lying to you. 
you know, if you work for, I think there are certain industries that will be insulated, healthcare being one. Um, healthcare being one. <laughs> Tech being another, being that it's internet driven for the most part. Law to a certain degree in that like maybe intellectual property, folks that are involved tangentially with um, tech and you know whatever law that's related to healthcare. And I, I do think people are still gonna be trying to do deals, you know, but these other Deal flow, maybe? I mean, maybe I think deal flow will slow. I mean, I think that it's not just going to be servers and bartenders and DJs and dancers and artists that are suffering. I think we're just the first. And y'all niggas need to get off fucking Instagram doing challenges and figure out what the fuck you going to do when they lay your ass off. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, figure that out because that's the way it works. Like for these corporations, layoffs aren't immediate, but they come in response to downturns. So I would just be weird. And I'm not wishing it on anybody. I just want people to be conscious of, one, be sympathetic and compassionate to people that are feeling it acutely, immediately. And also, I would think, remind yourselves to save your own dollars. If you're somebody, prepare for, or, uh, uh, prepare for a difficult time um, ahead. And I think I'm going to end it there. Sorry for the you know gloom and shit. I'm actually feeling pretty fucking good, not going to lie. I feel good, but, you know. Ooh, next podcast I'll talk to you guys about the books that I'm reading. I'm reading some bomb-ass books. Um, and next one will be light, I promise. It'll be fun. But enjoy the rest of your week. And if y'all are, you know, shut down, enjoy that. If you got a quarantine and chill, buddy, don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant. Don't, you know... Get caught up. <laughs> don't slip. Don't get caught slipping. Um, for those that are, you know, discordant in any way. So if you have HIV or any sort of like discordance along safety, be safe there. Um, don't forget your vitamin D because they ain't gonna get no sunlight. Um. Yeah, keep it, keep it, pop it, keep it, pop it, keep it pink, keep it tight, keep it gushy, and I'll talk to y'all next.